I am Brother Cornell West, and this is If I Can Save America. Peace and love, everybody. It's your man, Manny Faces. Just wanted to let you know that Hip Hop Can Save America is now available as a live stream show every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. You can find it at hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Excerpts from that show will be played here on the audio feed, so you'll still get the good interviews that you've been used to. But check out the live stream and check out my free Substack newsletter at mannyfaces.substack.com. That's filled with all kinds of stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and generally hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. For everything hip-hop can save America, hiphopcansaveamerica.com. For everything Manny Faces, mannyfaces.com. And if you find value in this work, you can support it. We'd love to have you aboard as a supporter at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Now let's go. On this episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, my talk with Kafri J, executive director of Hip Hop for Change, a nonprofit that's empowering youth, adults, and entire communities through the power of hip hop music and culture. My name is Manny Faces. Let's go. The thing about hip hop uh, today is it's smart, it's insightful. The, the way that they can communicate uh, a complex message in a very short space is, is remarkable. And a lot of these kids, they're not gonna be reading the New York Times. That's not how they're getting their information. So hip hop didn't invent anything, but hip hop reinvented everything. Peace and love, everyone. It's your friendly neighborhood hip hop advocate, Manny Faces. And it occurs to me each time I do an episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, aka the world's smartest hip hop podcast, that I don't entirely know who's listening. I imagine some of y'all are practitioners or educators in some field, using hip-hop as a powerful, motivating tool to teach or inspire in some way. You might be someone in one of those fields that's curious about how hip-hop can be used in those ways. You might be in a totally unrelated field, not know much about hip-hop at all, and are curious or even skeptical about how hip-hop could possibly be used to help empower people. First of all, feel free to let me know. We'll probably do a listener survey at some point, but in the meantime, do me a favor. Shoot me a quick email to podcast at hiphopcansaveamerica.com and just say hi. Let me know who you are and what you do and what you think about the show. Podcast at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. Now, second of all, no matter what camp you're in, you're going to hear from someone today that is as much an advocate for all of the above, as well as the need for the positive representation of the art and culture as anyone I've interviewed so far. As founder and executive director of Bay Area, California's Hip Hop for Change, Coffrey J helms a multi-pronged nonprofit, orchestrating all sorts of programs and initiatives that have been working to empower and uplift individuals and communities and advocate for social justice through the power of hip-hop music and culture. We'll hear how activism nonprofit experience from outside of hip-hop can be applied to the advancement of these ideas, how their growing organization had a pivot due to the pandemic, and his plans to use hip-hop to, well, help save America and its traditionally underserved and oppressed citizens one big city at a time. So again, shoot me an email, 
podcast at hiphopcasaveamerica.com. Let me know what you think of the show, any ideas, people or organizations you'd like to see us cover, or just to shower me with compliments. It's fine. That's fine, too. Now, for more information about the show, visit www.hiphopcasaveamerica.com. And remember that while you can send me an email or leave a review in your podcast app, one of the best things I could ask for is for you to share this with like two people. One who loves the idea that hip hop can help save America and maybe one who isn't so sure. We're here for all of them. Now, here's my talk with Kafri J from Hip Hop for Change. Kafri, if you could very briefly, just your name, rank, serial number, how you identify yourself and, and your role at your organization. Absolutely. My name is Kafri J. I'm the executive director and the founder of Hip Hop for Change. I also do everything else that's necessary to keep this movement going forward. I know how to, and that movement, I know how that goes, by the way. And <laughs> yeah. that movement, that hip hop for change, explain your, your role there and, and what that movement is. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm the president of the board. I'm also the executive director. And I, I started this myself. I had an idea. I had some gumption, right, and some tenacity. I stood on a street corner for seven months by myself to raise the funds and, and build the org before I got my first coworkers. And we've been moving ever since, man. What year was this? 2013, uh, right in the beginning of 2013. It's, it was a, a great time for me, man. I, I've done a lot of things as well. Uh, you know, we, 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 we wear many hats uh, when, when we're hip hop entrepreneurs or cha- change agents or, you know, uh-huh. however we might call ourselves. The, the nonprofit world's a whole different beast. I got my toe in it. I'm doing some things, but it's a whole different animal, man. It is, man. <laughs> Unfortunately, that I'm, I'm able to be able to empower that with hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Yep. We got our own kind of economic structures in hip hop that allows me to make an organization without really having to dip my toes in the foundations first. So I was able to remain authentic yep. uh, and really build a movement around what we needed, not what they needed to hear as funders. You know what I'm saying? So. Mm. I like that. That's that's a good a good angle. We'll talk more about I think the specifics of the founder. You know your organization, what the services and such are. I wanted to give you an opportunity. We're we're at a weird time right this minute. We don't have to do this if you don't want to. Uh, you probably heard that there's a verdict coming. Yeah. In the Chauvin trial, this will go out within a couple of weeks. This interview most likely, so it'll still be kind of timely. Mm. We will discover it probably in the middle of us talking here. <laughs> Word. As a, as a black man in America, there's a million things probably going through, you know, your head and the head of a lot of uh, your brethren. Um, as a hip hop guy, a lot of times those things, those feelings and emotions overlap because they're very closely intertwined. But there's also some ways that I think hip hop minded folk look at the world differently. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering is if we as we sit on this precipice of this, this whole this particular this unfortunately only the latest in this long line of of these sort of things. If you want to share your thoughts, I wanted to give you the space. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, I, I'm not too used to feeling cautiously optimistic, you know what I'm saying? But I think we have learned new words and being a hip hop artist, a rapper myself, words are powerful. Words dictate what you can imagine your abilities to be, right? And we learned some big vocabulary through Occupy about the 1%, right? People think Occupy didn't do anything. Occupy changed the whole American lexicon of what we're capable of and who the enemy is. And that's why Bernie Sanders is even here, because we changed the words. We just learned last year that we could burn down courthouses if we get so mad, right? Even the GOP and right-wing folks, they went to the Capitol because they learned, hey, we can do it too. Uh, and I think the, you know, our leadership learned that this is not a game, although they were playing one for a long time. This actually has real consequences and, and people are getting death threats and they're afraid. So 
I'm not sure what's going to happen with this outcome. I, I don't even want to, as a black man, I don't even want to be hopeful. Right? Right. We ain't, I don't play that game no more. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But what I do know is that I, I'm really heartened by, by the proletariat's response to injustice now. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of, there's a lot of movement happening. I like to think that I'm knowledgeable about history and about, you know, the, the way things work, but I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> in these <laughs> next couple of years. And right. and it's not that I don't know what's going to happen in terms that they're going to continue to shoot black people and now more white folks too and everybody because the police state is the police state. But I'm actually hopeful that we might be able to catalyze some change if we keep in the streets. Like when, when George Floyd happened, I was like, how long are we going to protest? That's what I'm waiting to see. How long is this going to last? Right, right. <laughs> we still going, man. And I'm so happy about that. You know, even as a, as a hip hop uh, activist, as a black activist, I was excited to see that, you know, the, the ramifications of having Trump in office. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like b- before Trump, we didn't have black women news anchors during prime time and we didn't have black you know, commentators every single That's segment true. on MSNBC. Right. Before Trump, That's we true. would have we could barely say dog whistle politics on MSNBC. Right now right. we're like, he's a racist. They're racist. <laughs> this is racist. GOP's right. Ra-. I'm like, I'm here for all that. You know what I'm saying? So the biggest and most important thing, and, and, and I just want to first say that I don't know if we would allow lasted four more years with Trump. I don't know what would have happened. So I'm glad we got out of that by the, by the you know, the hairs on our chinny chin chin. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but, but I'm glad that we got to see, cause you know, the one saving grace for racism is, is the, to be in the shadows. You know what I'm saying? The one saving grace for the white moderate is for them not to think that they are racist or that's the epitome of racism. Right. right. So I like my racists out in the open on camera and getting punched by liberal Berkeley white, you know, college <laughs> students again, cause they have, haven't been punching Nazis for a little while. You know what I'm saying? We right. haven't stopped fighting Nazis the whole time. You know, we've been right. we've been wondering where liberal white America was. Like, bro, we got cake. Come on, y'all. Come on, join, right. the, join <laughs> the festivities. Put your body on the machine like Mario Savio said. Mm. So that's the one beautiful thing. It's like nothing's going to get fixed until it comes to a head, right? Yeah. And Rodney King, th- th- that was a little bit of a head, but it wasn't enough. You know what I'm saying? So... In the country that's founded and grounded in the most genocide, white supremacy, I don't even say the most genocide, but just founded in pure genocide, colonialism, patriarchy, all that stuff, we need a really, really big head if we're going to get to where we need to be. And I see that right now. So, you know, I don't, it, it less matters about what the outcome is for the Derek Chauvin trial. And it just more matters what the people understand their role is, their job is, and and, and they're tired of it. And I think that we, black and white, not not all white folks, you know what I'm saying? 57% of them voted for Trump again, or whatever Mm -hmm. percent it was. But, But I think that... We just need a we just need a, a groundswell, and I think we got that now. I think we got enough fervor and tumult to to necessitate some change, whichever way that goes. And you know, the arc of the moral universe bends towards truth most most of the time. So, right. right. Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate that outlook. That's really interesting. Uh, the the change in media, the change in in words. I think that was super important. The change in concepts, you know, yeah. uh, from, from, you know, from one, we just did a, I do another show. It's a live stream weekly show called this week in social justice. We had a guest on that talked about the phrase excited delirium, which oh, is a phrase that, that, that police officers often use in their defenses. And yeah. it makes it sound like it's a, it's a medical term. It's, it's like an excited utterance, which is a legal thing. No, it's bullshit. It's made up. It's, it's not a medical term. 
the term is being used to get police off. But the, the fact that we're recognizing these things now, we don't know the inner workings of the of what we don't know. All we know that police don't get held accountable. Right. Yeah. But now we're, now we're starting to dig a little bit and find out yeah. why. And now yeah. we know that these things. And if you get a we talk to a medical professional who says we're getting the medical community to speak wow. out yeah. against this, you know, this use of this in legal settings. Mm hmm. He says, I talk as a medical professional, I talk about it and none of my medical professionals even know that this is being used. So now they're going to come in, you know, and, and, and work as expert witnesses against the use of this pseudoscience. That's dope. That's yeah. dope. I mean, because there's so many things waiting to make sure that they don't get held accountable, qualified immunity, just cops, just cops exactly. being cops, the DA, all yes. that. So I'm, I'm here for all that. Like I said, I wanted to give you space. I know we may even interrupt again, just if you want to know when it comes across, you may see it and we'll come back to it. But all of that to say this, obviously, social justice, uh, these issues are front and center in your mind. You have no problem speaking about them. You have no problem thinking about them. You have no choice but to think about them. <laughs> none, none. <laughs> you know, as, as, as I reminded people, all the, uh, as you say, the, the white moderates and all the people that came out in support of the protests over, you know, 2020, which was great to see because you saw more than you normally did in the past. The question there was, how long are they going to be engaged in that yeah. fight? Because for you and for the you know ones fighting the fight, there's no days off. It continues. No, I've been wearing a shirt. My uniform says in white supremacy. We got hip hop for change. We wear a big old right. shirt with big old letters saying white supremacy. We've been wearing that for eight years. <laughs> right. So, you know, it is, it is it is wonderful, man. I just just let you know, like working out there in the streets now and, and yeah. we stand we stand doing grassroots activism and fundraising education in affluent white spaces wearing an in white supremacy T-shirt. You'll catch yes. us in front of your Whole Foods, your Trader Joe's. Man, doing this after George Floyd has been so easy. That's good. Well, that's good. <laughs> it has that's been. Well, I don't want to say so easy. It's been remarkably more easy than it was beforehand. So, I, I you know, as we work, I'm glad to see liberal Bay Area is catching up with us. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. It, it explains where some of the, like you say, cautious optimism, uh, even though you're reluctant. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm super reluctant. I really want to be optimistic. <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah, don't, we yeah. all are. Um, so tell me about that. Let's get now to some of the specifics, uh, because right. obviously, like I said, this is a big part of who you are personally. It's a big part of why you founded the organization and how the, how how does hip hop and, and I do these. I have these conversations with people outside of hip hop all the time. And I, mm. I hope that those are the kind of people like you said, uh, you know, you go into their spaces to bring these ideas to them. I hope that they come into this space to try to find out, well, OK, let me find out about how hip hop the way I think of it. Yeah. And how hip hop really is. How does hip hop at its nature, at its core, and then specifically help in the fight against injustice? Number one, I mean, we even talking about it. Hip hop always intersects with social political movements, right? Hip hop is the voice of marginalized communities, right? Our voice is inherently politics. Everything we say is political because of our system of oppression that's rooted on us. You know, Audre Lorde said, if you speak your story, like the very act of speaking your truth is, is resistance. How can you take a culture that came out of nothing and remixed everything, you know what I'm saying, for kids that had nothing to start speaking about who they are? Um, I think to, to fight white supremacy, it's really hard to hate me if you know me. You know what I'm saying? I like truly know me. You know what I'm saying? I think white supremacy hides in media representations of black and brown bodies. You know what I'm saying? That's the number one vehicle for the perpetuation of the criminalization of black and brown people. And a lot of people like Taco Bell, but they don't think it represents Mexican culture, right? They're not running for the border, right? But, <laughs> you know, corporate hip hop 
seems to represent black and brown people, our hip hop just, and people believe that. They believe it's so hard. So, I mean, if people really understood and really like, really overstood, you know, what hip hop is because they had experiential knowledge of it. Like they came and walked in randomly to one of our ciphers. They'd be like, oh snap, bro, this is the most empowering thing ever. And I'm, Hip Hop for Change makes that happen. We, we bring in these people that have never, you know, had a, had a, never thought they had a means into hip hop because of all the, the, the you know, the uh, stereotypes sold about us. And we show them what it really is. So number one, when people see us, they'll see we're not going to eat their babies, right? <laughs> and that's literally what I tell people when I'm walking down, you know, the street and people grab their babies. I'm like, I'm not going to eat your baby. I'm, you know, I'm full. <laughs> I'm full. Thank you. Yeah, I got to yeah. say something, homie. Uh, but, I feel but, I feel but, but on top of that, man, I think that's just the secondary goal of hip hop for change to make sure mm -hmm. people know we're not going to, you know, eat their children and you can hire us, you know, and whatnot. Because if they think we're throwing money out on objectified women, they're not going to hire us to be a bank manager. You know what I'm mm, saying? So facts. that that's one way to help in white supremacy. Uh, but I think the most important way is just to empower people who are hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Like we shouldn't have to be pimped out and prostituted to be able to get out an important narrative to heal ourselves and our community. Right. right. Or we shouldn't have to subvert our own narrative. So if I can make sure I, I develop a, a business model that can support an, a hip hop artist, no matter what element, you know, even if you got a new element will support you. And I can take you from the root to the fruit without mm -hmm. being exploited or used by these three corporations that own 90 percent of the perpetuation of this fake depiction of hip hop. Right. Then then. And now we're rolling, right? All we right. ever needed was self-determination. No matter what community you're from, that's all we need. So for hip hop, if we can empower our local artists, our local activists, so they can pay for their food, they rent, you know, and they can actually not have to work crappy jobs where they're not geniuses, right? And, you know, and then they have enough energy to put into their own craft, man, that's what black and brown impoverished communities need more than anything they need they need their artists they need their, their words they need the knowledge of their efficacy their ability their self-esteem and where they could take it you know what i'm saying so they're not just thinking oh i have to throw money on objectified women to be hip-hop oh right. i could actually be a breakdance instructor teaching veganism and body health you know what i'm saying oh i can be a lawyer and help hip-hop you know people with their contracts so they don't get screwed oh man i can start a health organization you know there's so many possibilities and potentials through our own culture so if we don't own the means of that production and we don't own like the space so we can tell these little homies who they are and kill that intergenerational gap that we have because of corporatocracy in our culture right. then then we, we you know we're gonna we're gonna it's gonna be all bad so that's that's the two goals of hip-hop number one to normalize us right that's why in every meeting and everything i'm wearing my grill i don't put a suit on for nobody you know what i'm saying right right because right. uh, i don't need to to be professional but secondarily i'm just trying to teach these little homies that they're beautiful and what they're capable of first and foremost and if i accomplish that first goal i don't even need to worry about the second yeah i hear you man i, I we take our hip-hop wherever we go ain't that, ain't that right <laughs> i can't take it off when the cops come around the corner man I right can't. 100%. And, I, and i won't <laughs> and, I, and, and i no longer will you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah so, absolutely yeah uh media portrayals is huge it's a big uh bone to pick that i've had over the years i don't know if you followed my work but i've done yeah. a lot of uh attacking uh the media the mainstream media i've also done a lot of attacking of hip-hop media which does a pretty horrible job itself yeah, uh, but we but we won't go into that. That's a longer <laughs> conversation. Um, I'm here for it. I feel you, uh, and we can we'll talk. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to the kids, I I love the idea of, of empowerment. Representation matters, um, mm. but not just the you know cut and dry. 
representation that sometimes gets forced upon kids. You work, your, your organization works a lot with kids. And I just want to give an idea of, of, of what that looks like in practice. Uh, you have workshops, you do K through 12 work. And Everything. from what I remember, well, yeah, from what I've seen, tens of thousands of children have been uh, through your program. So give an idea just what that looks like to someone who's coming in saying, well, how do you, how do you work with kids to establish some of these ideals you're talking about? Yeah, man. So, I, you know, Hip Hop Exchange was initially founded just to raise funds so we could start throwing fat shows and getting local artists who deserve it paid and then build everything else from that. You can't really be in the streets talking hip hop without people being like, yo, you teach? Do you teach? Here, take my kid. Here, take my baby. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like my kid rap. <laughs> and I, you know, right. so <laughs> right. I can only say we don't teach for so long. You know what I'm saying? Before it was like, bro, like my community's asking me for something right here. Mm-hmm. Like, like right. it's, you know, so I had to buckle down, man. I literally went online and was like, you know, I've been an educator in some capacity for about 20 years so far, but I had to go online and figure out how to build a curriculum that was mostly experiential. So I can actually teach these kids what hip hop is. So I built this five-part modular workshop called the MC, Theory of Hip Hop, Evolution, Music, and Culture. And first and foremost, you don't hand any kid a loaded gun before you take them through the knowledge of how to use it, where it came from, all that. So we don't do anything before we teach the fifth element. We teach the history of hip hop. We teach that it came, started even before Cool Herc, you know what I'm saying? And, And all the way back. And it comes from an unbroken chain of excellence. And then after that, we go and take kids through the four elements where we get them breakdancing. They learn six or seven moves real quick, a little bit about the history. Uh, and we'll move the chairs, put on a beat, man. And they'll go at it with a breakdancing instructor. We'll do the same thing with graffiti. We'll teach a little bit about the history of it, show them mm-hmm. how to do words and all that other stuff. And yeah, then they'll yeah. make words that are empowering that represent their identity. Uh, we'll do the same with rapping where they just learn how to do it. Eight bars and they're rapping in front of the whole class, including the teacher. Cause that's go, that always goes down. And we do the same thing with making beats and DJing. Uh, we taught 26,000 students K through 12 in about seven years. Uh, and our education director, Unlearn the World, check him out. He's a prolific uh, MC, but also the best educator I've ever met in my life. Uh, he's from New York uh, and we were lucky to get him. He tripled our program to be the, the monster it is now. Uh, half our programming has been taught free. We don't turn down broke babies or broke organizations, Title I schools, because that's the opposite of hip hop. Yep. And we can subsidize that with money from these suburban communities we go speak to. Got it. You know, and, and a lot of people focus on the kids being taught. And yeah, of course, you know, and, and teachers love it because they're like, yo, we ain't never seen kids so focused. And I'm like, well, right. you, ain't yep. never, you ain't never used their culture, have you? Right. Because right. you right. you got to, you know, we have our, 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 our one of our instructors, Arc One, he comes in there, he does a backflip, lands on a hand and then says, kids, sit down. And the kids are going to like sit down. <laughs> they sit down. They're like, all right, <laughs> I'm going to learn from you, homie. You know, right. but, you know, the thing is, that's that's my favorite is that, dude, we've been struggling as hip hop artists. Especially in the Bay Area, where it's crabs in a bucket, and there's only mm. three companies that control the all of it. You know, all the parties and everything, and they don't care not one bit about you or me or any of our kids or nobody. But these people, we're all spinning our wheels, man, working these crappy jobs. Hopefully, having enough energy at the end of the day to do our craft and, and be mentors for free on the weekends, anyway, right? So, yeah. if I can get these folks fingerprinted. TB tested, trauma trained, right. trained in dynamic mindfulness and get them employed and assured to go in these schools and teach workshops, then they, that, that helps them pay their rent. It helps them actually hone their craft, get better edu- at educating. You know what I'm saying? Then they start saying, hmm, maybe I want to start my own education thing. You know, now people right. are starting their own educative things and all that. Like we're building this. And, and so 26,000 kids K through 12 taught 
but dozens and dozens of hip hop artists that are now paid to educate, uh, yeah. some of which have started their own ventures and whatnot, too. That's what's really inspirational to me. You know what I'm saying? Just to see we're closing these gaps and these kids are seeing these OGs coming to their school like, oh, yo, I could do this in a professional capacity. Whoa. Right, right. So that's that's my favorite. And it touches on what you said before. There's so many other ways to be involved in hip hop that isn't just being a rapper on stage. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah, being yeah. This, there's so many other ways you get. To, I'm still hip hop. I'm mean, I still DJ. I still DJ a little bit, but I'm I'm in journalism. And yeah. I just uh, this past fall in uh, New Jersey, NJ Pack, New Jersey Performing Arts Center. Word, uh, word. Shouts to Purple Haze uh, has a beautiful hip hop arts program there. We taught podcasting to young kids, but with a hip hop angle. Like that's never been. That's what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? We did that thing, and you know, so because obviously that's another place where you can have your own voice come in with your hip hop flair and make your thing happen, as I do. So I, you know, I love that there's other aspects of the entertainment field that aren't just the entertainment yeah, for both yeah. for like I said, both the OGs and for young people to see that that's a brilliant way to do it uh, how has the last year uh, <laughs> th- <laughs> thrown a wrench in all of those works yes uh, man I know how it feels <laughs> to have uh, the world's biggest wrench uh, business wrench <laughs> slap the whole face like bow yeah. and they pick it up again and throw it back at you yeah yeah, COVID, man. So, number one, I was the first black director for Greenpeace uh, when they started their grassroots street team back in 2006. Um, yeah, it's not easy to take people's credit cards on the sidewalk when you look like a, a hood dude from Hunters Point, San Francisco, and you talk <laughs> like one, too. But I got a mouthpiece. I got yes, it. Sir. And I, I, I ran the entire office. I learned how to, how to do a half a million dollar budget with 20 or 30 motivated grassroots canvassers. I took that model and meshed it with hip hop culture and I created this 501c3 that really we're doing the same things we always did. Street hustling. Now the police can't put us in jail for it or find us. (laughs) Right. That's the only difference is this 501c3. You don't got to scoop up all the bootlegs. You ain't got to. Oh, no. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> Straight up, yo. Hey, and look. And mind you, we stand in affluent white neighborhoods wearing an white supremacy shirt in the suburbs, too. So we're out in Lafayette, which is like a couple miles away from Oakland. And, and you know, we're making like old white men pissed. And they call the cops on us. They cuss us out. Getting, fa- getting, our, getting our faces. Most of the right. smaller people that work on our staff getting their faces. Then when the cops come. The cops say, oh, what are you guys doing? Hey, we're advocating social justice. Here's our permits. And cool. And can you tell him to leave us alone, homie? That's right. Yeah, cool. And then they get, <laughs> you have never seen a 68-year-old white man so incensed, bro, when they, <laughs> when they can't get these brown people out their neighborhood. But that's right. what that's what allowed us to raise $4.5 million, uh, mostly 80% from grassroots direct public support. You know, so we don't have to really play the role with the foundations. Now, that allowed us to employ almost 1,000 people with our com- from our community. Mm, it's beautiful. You know, with an activist job and a wage. And, and that's where most of our street fundraising and street teaming is going from. And yeah, you know, that all had to stop <laughs> last right. March because um, for the most part, 80% of our funds came from that. We have people going out in the streets talking about 40 people a day and then coming back every Wednesday and meeting up as a squad and then going back out talking to 40 people a day. That's not going to happen. Yeah. So we instantly had to shut that down. That instantly took all our money and all our fundraising ability. We also lost all our education contracts instantly. And we also lost about $25,000 worth of shows and events that we had working with the Asian Art Museum, all kind of stuff. Uh, shout out to them because they still paid our artists anyway uh, wow. at the Asian okay. Art Museum. So they're real. They're, they're gold. They're fair. But yeah, we had to rethink a whole lot of stuff, man. We didn't. We didn't have 
like everything that we did stopped. So what do you do? Uh, we went online, man. We switched to our online education model uh, and we created this uh, learnhiphop.org platform. You can go check that out if you want to. We turned all our education virtual, uh, which actually gave us the benefit of being a global educator now. So, you know, not only were we just starting to work with the State Department before COVID and actually had a team go down to El Salvador to teach some of these teachers down there how to use hip hop through next level. Uh, no, nah, not through Next Level. Actually, oh, okay. our, our, edu- our education director, Unlearned, just got picked from Next Level to go to Barbados in November. Oh, dope. Uh, yeah, he's fired, man. But we're actually doing this with the State Department. Oh, nice. uh, Yeah, so that was okay. real cool. Um, on top dope. of that, that was all stopped anyway. We were supposed to go back down there a second time. But mm. we were international now. So now we're teaching in Flint, Michigan. We're teaching virtual with Facebook beat making workshops on reservations and stuff like that mm. uh and right now we just finished a grant to go teach in moldova of all places man, <laughs> so, man come on i'm telling you right. you know That's dope. yeah i mean and hip-hop is worldwide of course we got to make sure that we follow the worldwideness because right now you know if you look at hip-hop in south korea for example it's beautiful but there's also some ugly things in there too you know what i'm saying right. so if we can go right. teach hip-hop and start creating this inner cultural communication and, and really get out there so it's not just corporations feeding into these things and we can really bring the folks out there people like thailand they're, they're doing hip-hop against duarte and, and he can't right. shut he can't shut it down he can't right. you can't shut down hip-hop even That's if you want thing. to i yeah. dare you to try to shut hip-hop down so so we do <laughs> have tried. to follow they 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 have always <laughs> right so yeah. we do have to try to get out there and, and hip-hop for change is getting ready to go global i mean Greenpeace, when I left them, they had 15 offices open nationwide, right? Mm. New York as well, D.C., Philly, uh, all around the nation, even on this side. I could triple that, you know what I'm saying? With hip-hop cultural work, the average uh, grassroots uh, worker has a retention rate of three and a half weeks in the industry. Ours was five and a half months, you know what I'm saying? Mm. People didn't even like doing canvassing. They just loved us, too, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) And they rock with us. And right now, we're actually redeveloping our grassroots street program to not just be a job, uh, but to actually be a closed employee development program. that's going to take people from entry level to middle skilled in about six months where we can write grants off that. Most of these nonprofits are doing grassroots fundraising. They could write grants to actually support their canvases, but they usually don't. So how do we take these people? and, And mind you, Every grassroots canvas you see is like, you know, it's like white activism, you know, one on one. It's like, you know, you, you know what these teams look like. <laughs> Ours looks like hip hop community. It looks right. like our community. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And we didn't we didn't do anything special. It's just people. They feel safe here. You know what I'm saying? Right. But with that comes a lot of responsibility when you're working with mostly black and brown people. To, you know, you actually got to help them out. So we pay half their health care if they need it. Uh, we're redeveloping this program. So every single week they have paid training where they're learning nonviolent communication, financial literacy. They're learning self-care. They're learning yoga, meditation. They're learning public mediation from the National uh, Center for Public Mediation. <laughs> <laughs> and they're also, you makes know, sense. we're fixing. Yeah, man. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> wow. Uh, they're also learning. We're getting their resumes, their LinkedIn's done, their headshots, their bios, all that other stuff. So by the fifth yeah. and sixth months, we're trying to get them hired out to know another another organization because generally speaking when you canvas for a company you'll never ever work inside that company doing the activism they'll get somebody with a college degree you know what i'm saying and 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 i've always you know if i had as much money as some of these big organizations that do this fundraising man my people would be walking
walking around in fur collared vests with, you know, <laughs> patches and stuff on it and grills and everything, bro. So we right. remaking this grassroots program where we're actually going to get them jackets and get them grills and pay for their health care and pay for their transportation and pay for their food because they're raising a bunch of money. Right. And then we're going to write grants to see if we can get them more and more and more. And so my biggest goal now is now that we've really established our model here in Oakland, I'm trying to open up Hip Hop for Change LA and then New York after that and then Baltimore and then DC and then Houston, yeah. Texas. I'm about to spread across this nation like a hip hop beautiful plague and they're going to hate it until they love it. You know what mm. I'm saying? And we're going to empower a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, just lift all boats. Currently, we're still dealing with a little budget shortfall. Luckily, we have a lot of enough public support. We're still alive. Yeah. Um, but but we are rocking. We're just trying to get over this three month bump. And we got a lot of good things going on right now. We're building a studio. It's going to be free for youth under 24 in Oakland. And this is the first of our vertical integration plan, basically, to, to integrate all platforms for hip hop. Because if I can write a grant, uh, say 100K, I can produce five artists from Oakland, full LPs, full album, uh, a couple of videos, uh, a distribution deal from Avid for free to get them distributed and we could put them on tour, homie. I could do that in every city we have hip hop mm. for change at. And not only that, our studio, much like you said with your homies, we're going to have a podcasting spot in there. We're going to be teaching engineering, mixing and mastering, all that stuff. And it's going to be a part of our pipelines to positivity program with working with systems impacted youth, that promise youth, youth that come from foster, uh, juvenile detention, things like that. Cause you know, everybody's rapping on the pod, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then they come out and then they come back to the same situations. If we can wrap little homie up and be like, yo, come on in here, man. We'll produce an album for you and give him a new trajectory of life and wrap him up with people that know. Let me ask you about that. This is, this is, just, this is not a, a scripted question, but I'm in New Jersey. They have a, uh, you know, legislation that's uh, on the books to, you know, create programs for young people, especially coming out from juvenile detention or those kind of situations. I know that a number of people in your line of work take hip hop into the spots and, you know, yep. use that as a even if it's just a confidence booster, if it's a, you know, a yep. way to kind of, you know, keep their sanity, all the things coming out and then having programs like the ones you're talking about, where it's, it is speaking to something that they're already familiar with, their culture, their language, their vibe, uh, yep. and then using that, as, you know, as a bridge to getting jobs, getting better, more acclimated to society again. Do you work with? any government or any juvenile detention or, or do you wish to, how does, do you, yeah. how, tell me about that. It's, it's taking a minute for us to be able to even get into juvenile authorities over here. And unfortunately, yeah. California is closing down our juvenile authorities because you shouldn't put kids in cages in any 100%. capacity. 100%. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know absolutely. Yeah. But uh, it's taking a while because bureaucracy is bureaucracy. Uh, we were just getting in a place where we could get in juvenile detention right before COVID. So that kind of threw a wrench in there. Yeah. Our, edu our education director, Unlearn the World, he's already working in juvenile since the day I met him. He was already in there. So now we've had a few programs in Camp Sweeney, uh, a few programs uh, in some penitentiaries down south as well in, in the valley. So then holistic, holistically speak to how that benefits uh, folks in those circumstances. I mean, I used I used to rob people when I was 16, 17, right? And people do that for the same reasons. They're beat down, they're brutalized, and they're trying to find their sense of power, right? Especially young, toxic men. They want to see what their worth is. And we get, we get lied to about what empowerment is left and right. And sometimes in the hood, we get bombarded with these visuals that give us a self-fulfilling prophecy of how we're going to go back, right? And so there's always in Oakland, in San Francisco, there's always 15, 20 young black men 
you know, 10 or so young Latino men that are doing the same thing. And I was one of them cats in 98, you know what I'm saying? When it was right, real right. popping in those streets. Right, right. Um, so I was trying to find my sister's self-worth. The thing is, is these kids, they're putting their bodies on the line for, for an ideal. And they go to jail for that. But to me, that sounds like somebody who's willing to put his body on a machine. If only they knew the right thing to do and the right way to do it and right. what they were really worth and what they could do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you got these kids who go to jail because, you know, I mean, some people call them stupid. I call them just, uh, you know, just they've been lied to, but they're they're so strong and so powerful that they would be willing to risk everything for something. For the wrong thing. For the wrong, yeah, yeah, for the wrong thing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I went to jail twice. Thank, thank the universe that I, the charges were dropped and I was able yeah. to get out of that and turn into an educator. But really what catalyzed that is me realizing what I was worth. You know what I'm saying? And what catalyzed that is being connected to my ancestors, right? <laughs> to history and being like, oh, snap. You know, when I started rapping about police brutality, I was like, that made me feel a little different. You know, then when I was rapping about cars I didn't have and girls that right. didn't like me because I was a nerd, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, or whatever. Right. I had no mouthpiece. So when you start rapping in these in these real ways about real things, you start learning stuff about yourself you didn't know. You start learning principles that you had that you didn't even know, right? You start mm. putting these things into tangible constructs that you're capable of dealing with in your head and turning them around and looking at them from different angles and stuff like that. That's yeah. the important thing, you know what I'm saying? So these kids are already rapping. They already, they already know the methodology. But they, they don't have the fifth element there. They don't have the knowledge about what they can really do. We don't go into no schools and no juvenile detention facilities telling kids what to rap about. That is right, the, right. That's the furthest thing from hip hop. Right. Right. But all I have to do is teach these kids what the history of hip hop was, because none of these kids know that. For all they know, it popped on the radio on 95 or something right, like that. Right, you know what I'm right, saying? Right, if that, uh, yeah. and, and if they know about breakdancing, because most of these kids in the hoods don't even know about breaking, you know what I'm <laughs> right. saying? Like, yeah. or, or whatever, you know, they don't even really know what graffiti is. So when you start teaching these kids that hip hop and what they're doing and the way they dress and the way they walk, talk, paint, yeah. think, feel comes from an unbroken chain of political active excellence right and you start showing them the first you know what people did with hip-hop i don't have to tell them what to rap about afterwards i just need to just say rap now and when right. you know when we take kids into the woods with our agents of change program in the east bay regional park district we start teaching them about the, the land here in the parks and we teach them about mosswood park here where the black panthers did their free lunch program you think they about to rap about objectify <laughs> women after that <laughs> right, no right, you know what i'm saying right. we teach them about the lonies and then we right. started sampling sounds from the forest and made beats and now these kids are rapping about mama nature and pachamama and stuff like that i don't have to tell them that yes and that's just what it's about. So if you connect kids to their own self-worth, their own self-efficacy, and that's always through connecting them to their ancestral knowledge and, you know, their ancestral traditions of resistance. Man, you start hearing them Shaka Zulu drums and, you know, warrior spears and stuff. You start smelling like Palo Santo and, and Sage <laughs> and stuff like that, you know, yeah. and kids just go off. My job is never to be the bus driver in a, in a, in a bus full of 20 kids screaming and yelling. That don't even sound fun, homie. But right. but I will be the gas in that bus and I will give every kid a steering wheel and be like, feel free to drive off the cliff if you want to. But hey, look right. over there. You see them green pastures over there? Right. There's options. Yeah there's, yeah, there's many ways to do it. I've driven off the cliff too. I can show you how to try to do that the safest way uh, if you <laughs> right. want to. You know, right. but but my job is is to really, first and foremost, homie, is to believe in the beauty and the excellence and the determination and the resilience of our young kids. 
I don't have to teach them nothing but the, the what they're capable of. You know what I'm saying? And that's it. You know, believe in these kids. They are they like teach them well and let them lead the way. And for us adults, mm. we really need to shed our old butts up. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And get I out the you. way. Uh, and that, that's what we're doing. I feel you. It's untapped brilliance is what it is. It's there. You just gotta, yeah. you know, you might have to help, you know, <laughs> you know, all you, the wires. To, all you gotta do is build trust, man. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, Cause these yeah. kids just don't trust us, man. They don't trust these, these systems that like how many adults are really out for these kids and saying, Hey, rap, what you want to rap about? I have kids mm. ask me so many times, can I rap about this? I'm like, can you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but right? can you, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's for real. And they just need a little guidance. Like I was teaching this one class and this young girl was like, yo, I don't really know what to rap about. Cause I don't want to talk about all that stuff. And I I was like, wait, you didn't, you didn't listen to me, sister? Like, check it out. This is for you to rap about whatever. She's like, well, I don't want to use this word. And she was talking about the B word. Can I use it? And I'm like, well, I'm a dude. I'm not going to tell you you can't use it. You know what I'm saying? You know, right, but, right. but I, I think I know what you're trying to get at, right? You're trying to get at the fact that you're worth something, right? You're powerful. I also hear people talking about queens when they think about stuff like that. Next thing I know, she rap, I'm a queen. Ain't no dude going to tell me to do this. Yada, yada, yada. Right. And, and that's, I'm here for all that. You know what I'm saying? Right, so, right. so these kids already have have it man all they all they need is the vocabulary and the schema right the schema the patterns of behavior that are almost like vocabulary that's all they need man and then they need to just get out the way and turn the beat on man for real just turn the beat on get out the way I, I love it. I, I'm here for it all as well. What's great about that is you kill two uh, proverbial birds in that in that you let the you let the kids discover, you know, rediscover or be free to do how they want to be. And they emerge from that. And then what you said is if you bring that to audiences that never really understood hip hop and they yeah. see that from young people, yeah. they're going to say hip hop did this. Yeah. This is brilliant. Yeah. So it's like really opening up all these eyes at the same time. I want to ask you a couple two more questions before we go. One was, and I noticed there was some interaction. You come from the Bay Area. There's a, a you know, a, a nice mix of, of folk from different uh, cultures. Uh, there was uh, conflicts that uh, ro- reared their ugly heads uh, repeatedly, but more recently in the, between the Asian community, uh, the African American communities. You guys took a, an intentional approach to that, did you not? Yeah, of course, man. So, because because number one. We had a couple of incidences uh, with a few stupid kids, you know what I'm saying? And a few folks with mental illnesses, right? Okay. And I think people are saying we're having issues between the Black and Asian communities. I don't think so. Because if we're talking about instances being the progenitors of issues, white folks still own hate and violence against Asian people. They have the majority of that. They own that. (laughs) And I I will never let them relinquish that title (laughs) until they do the work. Right. In fact, they're the ones that are causing that particular rift uh, throughout the, yeah, yeah, that's where it originates from. But go ahead. Anti-blackness and anti-Asian sentiments are always rooted in white supremacy, period. Right. And, you know, and and, and so a year ago, uh, there was an incident in Hunter's Point where I'm from. Hunter's Point, that's my neighborhood, you know what I'm saying, to this day. And there was an Asian man, an elder, who was collecting cans. He always does. He loves the community, right? They loved him. They bring out cans and give him stuff to drink. Unfortunately, there was a homeless man who was having mental issues, a black, a black homeless man with mental issues that attacked this guy. Oh. A, young, a young 17, 18-year-old dude saw it and 
then he recorded it. He was like, I hate Asians. Ah, he said some stupid stuff. Now, yeah. nobody caught his mama coming out and like smacking him up. And be, <laughs> nobody caught nobody caught any of that. But that went viral. And then that's how this whole black people against Asian people thing started. So right. my organization, like we don't we don't play. Hey, this is peace, love, unity and having fun. And you're going to get this work. Like, you're yep. going to get this yep. work. Yep. Uh, so we held a rally in our community. We had uh, activists from, you know, Chinatown, uh, from the Asian community come out when it was right at the site. You know what I'm saying? We, at the site in Hunters Point, in the in the hood, in the projects. We had folks come out. We had music, singing and dancing and, and all that other stuff. And we spoke. Uh, and that was the beginning of the work that we've been doing. And, and, you know, there's been a lot of other issues, you know. And I'll tell you right now, if I ever see you hit an elder, I don't care where they come. You're going to get scraped. <laughs> you're going to get scraped by me off the floor. Right? I don't care yeah. what it is, what it do. And, <laughs> right. and I think that we share those same sentiments in black and Asian communities. We're very, right. we're very communal, you know, cultures and we right. have to be to protect ourselves from white supremacy. Right. That's why there is a Chinatown. Right. Right. And I think that we also in hip hop, we got the template because, you know, when I was young, man, I used to rob people with Asian people and rob Asian people with Asian <laughs> people. Like, and all these kids were together because in San Francisco, it is really diverse amongst our youth but not amongst our elders, right? Our Got elders, it. our black elders live in this neighborhood, our Asian elders live in these neighborhoods. Got it. With the exceptions of like Samoans and Tongans and Sunnydale hanging with the black folks in that same project. We don't really, the elders don't really meet up like that. They have really inauthentic experiences because of that. Mm. You know, where in the black community, a lot of our white supremacist notions about Asian people are informed by the one interaction we have with the nail salon or, or this one store. And we don't realize that these cats don't even want to have stores in our neighborhoods. They just have to because of white supremacy, right? Nobody wants to be in a black neighborhood. They know we ain't got no money. Money, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> anyway, and then we have really inauthentic experiences with Asian people as well. You know what I'm saying? And, and I know what I heard from my parents, and, and not even really my parents as much, but yeah, there was some anti-Asian sentiments coming from them, and, and, and just our whole community in a nutshell. And there's anti-black sentiments coming from Asian elders too. But but sure. the question is, is we can't generalize and be like, oh, Asian people this much or that much. We don't know how many and what percent. Uh, hate black people or what? And I don't even think we need to play that oppression poli Olympics politics or whatnot because my <laughs> assumption is that we have more together than not. You know what right. I'm saying? I really don't know what percentage it is and nor do I care because my activism is principled. I am against white supremacy in all its forms, anytime, without preconditions. You know what I'm saying? So right. I don't care what you feel about Asian people. If they're experiencing white supremacy, I'll be there. And I've been there. And I'm going to go there in Portsmouth Square. And we're right now organizing with the Chinese Cultural Center, yeah. uh, which is really cool because when people who have preconceived notions about hip hop see positive hip hop for the first time, it's a mind bomb and it kind of kills all their preconceived notions. We're Every about time. to get people, we're about to get these elders in that community rapping in Cantonese and Mandarin, homie. I love uh, it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's, the, and that's, that's what it is because yeah. hip hop is the template. It's peace, love, unity. And then we're going to have some fun while doing it. So yeah. when we're working with these communities and building this, this up, like until we stop, Economic oppression of black and brown bodies There's always going to be 15 or 20 black youth in Hunters Point, San, in San Francisco that are robbing folks. Right. And they're not going to rob people in our neighborhood. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and that's what it's going to be. But I think the most important thing for us is until that problem is solved, we also need to show that solidarity is happening as well. Right. Because right. my biggest thing is that people some people say, oh, well, they don't like us. They ain't no Asian people fighting for us. What are you talking about? I've met hundreds. 
since I've been doing my intentional work, I've met hundreds and I, I could meet thousands if I had more time. Yeah. And not only that, I'm working with so many different organizations that were already marching for Black Lives Matter. Why? Because I did the smallest bit of work just to reach my hand out and extend it. And now I'm like, whoa, look at all the activism we're creating. So yeah. that's that's the problem. I think people are generalizing and saying, oh, because I had this one experience, I heard this from my homie, they must feel this. That's That's not what you do. You know what I'm saying? Right. That that right. that, that anecdotal kind of uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah man F O H with that right? So right, right. Uh, I, I think and like you say, it's uh, not to cut you up. It's the, it's the, it's it's it is the hip hop way of doing. It. It's a very inclusive. Yeah. We're we're not gonna if you authentic, yeah. right? Yeah, you in the cipher. Yeah, you can't you can't fake authenticity, right? You don't even have to be good to be authentic in the cipher. <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? Like we'll rock with you if you your first time, but you trying hard. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But right. but I think I think that's that's the biggest thing until. My biggest goal with this work uh, and, our, and our biggest goal at Hip Hop for Change is to just catalyze as much of this solidarity work and, and put the microphone in front of it and put the camera in front of it so people can see, hey, this is happening. Because yes. all we really need is this moment that's going to happen in somebody's head where they're like, oh, snap, Asian people really do love us. Or, oh, snap, black people really do love us. That's all That's all we need. Yeah. And I know that's that's not the problem that we might have in the hip hop community, not in Hip Hop for Change. You know what I'm saying? But I think a lot of our elders need to have that catalyzing moment. So if I can go out in Portsmouth Square in the middle of Chinatown and teach our MC program with a translator and show them the history of hip hop and then get a bunch of people rapping the Mandarin and Cantonese, I'm throwing yeah. mind bombs at people left and right, bro. And we're going to wrap them up in this love and they're going to get this work. I like it. I like it. I appreciate that. That's dope. Uh, it, it actually leads to uh, one question and then I'll ask you, you know, like to kind of just tell me what everyone could look out for, how to find you and such. And it, you've already segued into it. So I'll give you one chance to tie it all up in a neat little, uh, neat little bow. The name of the podcast is called Hip Hop Can Save America. Yeah, uh, it, It's intentionally titled and, you know, it's a big lofty goal. And I think we need a little <laughs> bit more than just hip hop. Yeah, uh, But certainly I think you are well qualified, sir, to uh, give me your perspective on why when we look for ways to improve the live and livelihoods and communities uh, all over across the board. But specifically, you know, communities that have been traditionally uh, left behind, let's just say, why must everyone People, communities, policymakers, corporations look at hip hop as a way to improve and uplift humanity. Number one, hip hop is the culture of our youth, man. Either kids are hip hop cultured or they're hip hop curious. There's like, there's almost nobody who ain't on that Venn diagram right there. You know what I'm saying? Um, and and hip hop also, it's, it's it's different than when they took jazz and and then you know turned it into Kenny G. Way different, bro. Because hip hop contains the narrative that people conflate with black people. So people think that is who we are, what we are. I think that's what our youth are, whatever, you know. And essentially, hip-hop is what our youth are. You know what I'm saying? It's what they are. It's what they do. But we're not seeing that for real. You know what I'm saying? So the secondary goal is showing people what hip-hop is, you know, what hip-hop can be so we can stop all these preconceived notions about what our kids are capable of and that they're not creating the most excellent thing the world's ever... Because look, there's like 12, 13-year-olds that started breaking, man. Like, these kids are making the most genius stuff in the world. Like, homie, get out the way. But I think, I think pr primarily 
if we can build a platform and, and, and this is this is my end game in hip hop exchange, whoever builds the first base of self-determination for authentic hip hop culture again is going to be a billionaire. It doesn't matter if it's Puff Daddy or a 501c3. Right. Right now we got this hip hop that is satiating suburban white men that are college aged, right? right. Designed for them. They can have it, bro. They can keep that. You know what I'm <laughs> right. saying? But what that means is that we have a culture and a community of people that are under satiated. Right. Whoever mm. figures out a business model to to, to serve them is going to win and win freaking big. And we got that here in our first city. And we're going to take this and spread it across the globe like a plague. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? If you put chili meat next to filet mignon, homie, what are you going to use? What are you going to pick to, to cook that <laughs> night? You know what I'm saying? And you said it before, you can't fake authenticity. You know, so every year we have our environmental justice summit, right? Where we get Sierra Club, 350.org, Surfrider Foundation to, to donate money, to sponsor it so we can book Talib Kweli, our most deaf, and it'll be a free all ages event for the community where we invite local eco justice organizations to table and speak truth to power. We have panel discussions last year. We had Ilhan Omar's daughter, Julian Noyes Bravecat from the Lakota Sioux Nation, and, and, and they speak. And we have people who come there for, you know, the, the granola hippie white folks that are fist pumping in the front row at a hip hop show they never knew they were going to go right. to. And now they're listening to Earth Amplified, a local Oakland group rapping about food justice. You know what I'm yes, saying? Yes, yes. All right. And now we got hip hop heads who come up to see Talib Kweli or Most Def. And now they're in this environmental justice summit. And they're like, yo, I really did hate the fact that the Navy Hunters Point shipyard is the most toxic radio radioactive site out here. What can I do? You know what right. I'm saying? So we build these platforms. And, and I'll tell you this, when Talib Kweli comes to the Bay or when most comes to the Bay, they call another planet entertainment. In two years, they're going to always call us first. And we're going to mm. own, not own them as in like the industry, but yo, if they're going to get $10,000 to perform 15000 and they can get it from another planet or they can get it from us where we're going to have a free show for the people and, and, you know, a little 10-year-old mama or the 88-year-old mama can come see there and feel safe and learn and get community resources, yes. then Talib Kweli should always rap with us. 100%. Always. Erica Badu should always. And that radius clause means they're always going to call us. So we're going to own positive hip-hop artists in the Bay, right? Because we're going to own that platform because they can get the same money and they'll feel that sense of purpose that their rhymes give them. That's why they rhyme mm-hmm. about that. And then when I open up Hip Hop for Change LA, not only am I going to have these cultural leaders that, that we're producing out here to open up for these artists, but then I'll be able to take Talib or Most Def on that tour. So when they hit the West Coast, they're going to call us. And then when I get in New York, and Miami Day, bro, it's going to be our Rock the Bells with no Coca-Cola sponsorship because I'm going to have at the Shoreline Amphitheater a Women's Empowerment Summit with 20,000 people free in all ages. And people told me I can't do that. And I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, oh, I can't? Watch me, homie. I'm going to make sure that when people access their culture, they won't have to pay a dime. And when people want to become cultural leaders, they don't have to pay a dime. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And when people want to make it and, and spread their knowledge and spread that fifth element with love, we got them 1,000%. That's what Hip Hop for Change is doing. So if anybody wants to come support this movement, we will be that first organization that's going to build that base for people to take it back. I don't think people could do it the way they're doing it. Uh, and I, I see y'all over there pretty soon, man. I'll be out there with an, organiz- with an office out there in about a year and a half, two years from now. I, I, I kind of don't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> if you do it's gonna make me be out there faster homie well so. <laughs> you know what I, I'm, I'm naturally cynical so i'll give you yeah. that but no, no I, I like i love your vision um Thank i love the brother. work i love the work this is what i dedicate myself to amplify i want to signal boost the yeah. work of the people doing the work 
Thank you, brother. I, no, absolutely. I can see the value in it. Uh, and I'm glad that uh, the last year, as, as uh, <laughs> insane as it's been for all of us, we, we, we still going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we talk about, yeah. resilience. <laughs> yo, yo, we ain't got no choices, man. You see where we came yeah. from? We ain't got no choices. I, I was burnt out when I was 13, homie. I ain't going to, you know, it ain't going to affect me now. But, yo, thank you so much for extending this platform, brother. I really, really thank you for that. Because that's what we need more than ever right now. Yeah, no doubt, man. I will do what I can to obviously preach the gospel. Uh, you'll come back and let me know about anything big that's happening that we need to spread the word about. And uh, as my homie, she's been yelling at me for a decade to visit the Bay. So I will come down and hang out with y'all the next word. chance I get to be in your neck of the woods. We'll give you a soft landing, baby. Come on down. We got you. I'm looking forward to it. Right on, brother. Much love. Kafri, thank you, man. I appreciate you and your work. All right, bro. Right on, man. Be well, man. Yeah, back at you. All right. Once again, I'm Manny Faces, and I thank you for listening to Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's smartest hip-hop podcast. If you appreciated this episode, please take a moment to rate and review us at ratethispodcast.com slash hip-hop. That's ratethispodcast.com slash hip-hop. Easy to remember and very helpful to the cause. In addition, you can support the show and get some special offers at patreon.com slash Faces. Every penny goes into being able to continue this and other work that advocates for the use of hip-hop music and culture to improve society and uplift humanity. Now, this show was created, edited, produced, and hosted by me under my production company, Manny Faces Media, in association with the Center for Hip-Hop Advocacy. And fun fact, I also produced the theme song. For more about my projects, including the award-winning social justice podcast, Newsbeat, information about my public speaking, my upcoming event calendar, and more, visit my online home base at mannyfaces.com. For all things Hip Hop Can Save America, visit hiphopcansaveamerica.com. Thank you for listening, sharing, supporting, and showing love. Appreciate y'all. We're out. Once again, thanks for listening to another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's most important hip hop podcast. My name is Manny Faces. You can find out more about the show at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. You can watch the show now as a live stream on YouTube, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Check back for all the replays as well. The interviews from the live stream will be brought here onto the audio feed, so you always get the best of the live stream. You can also check out our Substack newsletter. It's free at mannyfaces.substack.com filled with stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and in general, hip-hop news that isn't about dumb <laughs> Eternal shouts to our consulting producer, Summer McCoy. Be sure to check out her dope initiatives, Hip-Hop Hacks, and the Mixtape Museum. We'll be back soon with another dope episode, but check us out on the live stream as well. Mondays, 9 p.m. Eastern, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Until next time, it's Manny Faces wishing peace and love to you and yours.